Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Williams wants to fade. Stoops in the end zone for a touchdown Oklahoma. Well, spring is finally up on us, and that means it's one of the busiest times of the year for Oklahoma athletics. Basketball getting ready to head to Kansas City for the uh, for the NCAA, hopefully NCAA, but Big 12 tournament. Uh, the dead period for recruiting has ended. That means Oklahoma just wrapped up a junior day type weekend event where they had a pretty impressive um, group of guys that came in for that. March 22nd is the start of spring football practices. I've got five big storylines to keep tab of as that approaches. And by the way, softball still undefeated uh, after a 9-1 victory over Minnesota on Monday. That's just kind of where we're going to get started here. What's up, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Let's do start with softball um, because it is a big story. It's a good leadoff. The Sooner is 16-0. Uh, the, the story here is Jocelyn Allo. This is a we, we've talked in depth how good this softball team is. We've talked about Jordy Ball and, and Shan, uh, sorry to say Shannon Sale, Nicole May, the, these ladies that are that are just doing the job in the circle, which is anchoring this team. Offensively, they're they're just as good, if not better, as what they've been in the past. But Jocelyn Allo remains a story for this team for two reasons. Reason number one is she's. I mean, this is. Not, not anything breaking, right? She's she's one home run away from setting the record for the NCAA career home run mark. So that's that's a storyline in itself right there. But then she also remains the storyline because of how opponents have elected to, shall we just say, not pitch to her? I started to say how they, they've elected, they've, they've changed how they're going to pitch to her, but they're really not. They're not pitching to her. It's Walk City for Jocelyn Allo, which man, there's a lot of people out there. I always love it how when you have a coach who's achieved the level of success that Patty Gasso has, yet there's going to be so many people out there on social media and on message boards and internet in general who can help her do her job even better. Now let's keep in mind this team is 16 and 0. They're number one in the country, and it's not even close based on what we've seen so far. But yeah, people people got ideas. Hey Patty, why don't you try this? Hey Patty, I don't understand why you're not doing. The reason why you don't understand why she's not doing what she's doing is because you're not the best softball coach in America. She is. And so yeah, I get it. Let's let's move the lineup. Let's just change the lineup order, right? Well, Patty's done that. You get people on base, Patty's done that. They're not going to walk, they're not going to pitch to Jocelyn Allo. And, and the idea, just, just my humble opinion as a guy who also is not Patty Gasso, but has been around this team for a long time. I've interviewed Jocelyn Allo many times. I've interviewed Patty Gasso many times. Just my thought is this. 
If you put someone on base ahead of Jocelyn Allo, that makes them less likely to pitch to Jocelyn Allo. Because if you, if the way it stands now, you pitch to Jocelyn Allo, you might give up a single home run. You pitch to Jocelyn Allo with runners on base, you're going to give up a multiple run home run. And so that, that idea of moving Jossie throughout the lineup to try to get people in front of her, the only way, the only way, no, it's not even going to work. I'd say the only way you wouldn't pitch to her, and I've talked about this before, the only way you wouldn't pitch to Jocelyn Allo is if the bases are loaded. But yet still, the coach's mindset is going to be giving up, walking in a run, walking in one run is always going to be better than giving up a grand slam. So there is no easy solution. It's just going to come down to which pitcher wants to go in the record book as being the pitcher who gives up the, the record-breaking home run. If you're old enough to remember Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa in the 90s, that home run derby those two guys had as they're trying to set records. The only difference here is Jocelyn Allo's not on steroids. But, I mean, it's the same thing. No one wants to be that guy, right? And in this situation, no one wants to be that girl. And to make it an extension out from there, no one wants to be that team. All that said, I do think this changes. I think Jossie sets the record this coming weekend. Uh, she's going back to Hawaii. The Sooners are participating in the Rainbow Classic. They begin on Thursday with Baylor. Now, this is a, a conference team, but it's a non-conference game. I don't think Baylor is going to give it up to her. Uh, Cal may not give it up to her. But if she doesn't get it before Baylor, before Cal, if she goes into the last two games of this classic, still looking for that home run, Hawaii is going to give it to her. Uh, th this kid has done so much for the sport of softball. She's done so much for softball in the state of Hawaii. This is going home for her. The only reason, I'm, I'm telling you, the only reason that – Oklahoma is participating in this classic is because of Jocelyn Allo. This is taking Jossie home her senior year, her, her super senior year, her last year of college eligibility. This is a reward for Jocelyn Allo for what she's done for this program. And it's also a reward for the state of Hawaii who produced this incredibly historic player. Hawaii is going to give it to her. I'm just telling you right now, if, if she doesn't get it against Baylor, if she doesn't get it against Cal, I think they're going to follow suit to what these other schools have been doing uh, the last week and a half. Hawaii, just mark it down, Hawaii will give her the record. And by the way, I'm interested in, in, this, uh, in this game against Baylor because it does give you a little bit of a, of a preview of how Oklahoma is going to fare in the Big 12. Baylor's not the best in the Big 12. They're not the worst in the Big 12. They're, they're one of those you know, middle-tier teams. So you think Oklahoma should win this game on Thursday against the Bears, but by how much? And that begins to be uh, a little bit of a measuring stick for how this team is going to fare in Big 12 play. Uh, can they run the table, uh, or will they drop a game like they did last year in the Bedlam series? Oklahoma basketball in Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament. And, uh, yeah, this is a, a big opportunity for the Sooners. Now, keep in mind, they did what they needed to do with those last three games. They closed out with the three wins. We're, if you listen to the podcast, you know we talked about this. We discussed 
Um, you know, you got to win those last three. Those last three would be the ones that determine what happens to your NCAA tournament fate. Doesn't matter what happened in Ames. It doesn't matter what happened in Lubbock. But you win those last three games, closing out against Oklahoma State and West Virginia at home, winning on the road in Manhattan. Then you put yourself in position at 17 and 14. Now, you, you did what you needed to do, which is fantastic. But now you're going to play Baylor in your first game in the Big 12 tournament on Thursday. By the way, how big of a day is Thursday going to be for Oklahoma Athletics with the, the Big 12 tournament starting and then Jocelyn Allo potentially uh, getting that record set again in a, in a conference, non-conference game against Baylor? Um, yeah, it's going to be a big day for, for sports in the, uh, in, from the University of Oklahoma on Thursday. But that said, the good news is if you win this game, if you beat Baylor and you lose the next week, you lose on Saturday, or excuse me, you lose on Friday, you're in the NCAA tournament. It's, just, it's that simple. You beat Baylor, you're in. If you lose to Baylor, you're, you're going to have to just kind of play the waiting game through Sunday. But, I mean, when you, when you look at this, I, Oklahoma's resume, they put themselves in a, in a good position. A lot of people have them in. A lot of people have them out. A lot of people have them right on the bubble. And, and the thing is, if the Big 12 tournament determines Oklahoma's fate in the NCAA, then the Sooners are probably in trouble. <laughs> Just to be honest with you, they're probably in trouble. Because I don't know that there's a lot of people that are going to bank on Oklahoma beating Baylor in Kansas City. Not saying it can't happen. But I don't... I mean, it's unlikely, right? Does that make me less of a fan to be a realist? It's, it's, less, it's, it's unlikely that it'll happen. But it could. But I think what you're going to do is when you get into Selection Sunday, if you're Oklahoma, you've got a, you've got a, you're above 500. You're three games above 500. So that helps. And you're going to tout the wins over Florida, Arkansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State. Those are your big wins over nationally ranked teams. But in the back of your mind, if Oklahoma doesn't make the tournament, you're going to know why. If you're a member of this coaching staff, if you're a member of the, of the team, if you're, if you're a fan, here's the reason why. If Oklahoma doesn't make it, it's going to be because they lost to Butler, because they got swept by TCU, and because they did not sweep Oklahoma State. You look at Butler, not a tournament team, you look at Oklahoma State, not a tournament team, and it's not because of the NCAA probation. They're just not a tournament team. They're, they're not good enough to be in the NCAA tournament. So there's two teams that you should have. If you're a tournament team and you're beating Florida, you're beating Arkansas, you're beating Texas Tech, you should have beaten Butler. You should have beaten Oklahoma State. But then I think that the team that, that what really is going to hurt Oklahoma is getting swept by TCU. And particularly that overtime loss in Fort Worth. Because I think a lot of people hold TCU and Oklahoma kind of in the same weight. When you're looking at these two teams, they're, they're very similar. You look in the mirror, you, you know those, 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 uh, those memes that are out on, on internet, social media, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. It's Spider-Man looking at Spider-Man. You know what I'm talking about? If you've never seen that, you have no idea what I'm saying right now. But basically, when TCU looks in the mirror, they see Oklahoma. When Oklahoma basketball looks in the mirror, they see TCU. But TCU did beat Kansas. So they got that going for them. 
and they beat Oklahoma. And so if it comes down between TCU and Oklahoma, TCU's in. Hands down, undoubtedly, no question about it. But I think if Oklahoma had won one of those games, particularly the overtime loss in Fort Worth, you win one of those games, then I think TCU and Oklahoma get in unquestionably. We'll have to wait and see. I mean, Sunday we'll tell the story here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we're recording this podcast on March 8th, which means spring football is two weeks away from today. March 22nd is when the Sooners will take the field for the very first time under head coach Brent Venables, which is kind of a weird thing to say still, but uh, it's got a nice ring to it. Before we jump in, I've got, I've got the top five storylines um, as Oklahoma heads into spring practice. I've got the top five, my top five storylines. Obviously you may have one or two differently, three or four, maybe all five differently, but I'm going to give you mine. Um, but before we do that, let me jump into, uh, Oklahoma just finished up uh, their uh, first major recruiting effort for the 2023 class and with the dead period ending, hosting just a number of high profile uh, recruits uh, over the weekend. Um, and you even get a couple of, of crystal ball predictions after the weekend. Um, and so let's jump in here. The, the, the guy that was there that, I mean, he, it, you look at guys that could be like, kind of like the bell cow of the recruiting class. And, you know, I hate to say it, but you, the Caleb Williams of the recruiting class, a guy that just attracts other people. Oh, he's going to go with Oklahoma. Well, I might consider Oklahoma because he's going. Um, that guy was Richard Young, five-star running back from the state of Florida, uh, number one uh, running back in the 2023 recruiting class. A lot of people obviously want him, uh, but the Sooners had him on campus. They had him. They, apparently, he, from all accounts, he enjoyed his time there. And, and it's interesting because Oklahoma does currently have a um, a a a crystal ball commitment from Dylan Edwards, who's out of Derby, Kansas, three-star running back. And, and it's not like Oklahoma can't nab more than one running back in a recruiting class. I mean, you, you've seen that uh, time and time again. But Richard Young in Norman over the weekend is a huge thing for DeMarco Murray to be able to get FaceTime, for Jeff Lebby to talk about schematics and so forth and and how this is going to play out, how they could use a guy of his caliber. Um, and, and it would be huge. I mean, can you imagine Oklahoma landing the number one running back in the recruiting class? I mean, it's, uh, that, would be, that would be massive uh, for, this, uh, for this class and for Jeff Lebby and Brent Venables as they really work to get their first full cycle of recruiting under their belt. And this 2023 class will be the first class that is fully their class. Now they, they got guys like Nick Evers and so forth that came in with 2022, but obviously they didn't have the full recruiting cycle to get that. And, and when you look at a, a lot of people kind of jumped off the deep end when Lincoln Riley left because of the, the, the way that Lincoln Riley was able to recruit, particularly talent on the offensive side of the ball. 
they just kind of, oh man, we're, it's over. And, and it, yeah, I, I, there's a lot of deniers now, but uh, there were many, many people who said this has set the program back 10 years, which totally, and now in hindsight, was, was way, way a hot take that, that didn't pan out. But the reality is when you look at the class that Brent Venables and Jeff Levy, Ted Roof, to the extent what he was able to do, do with some guys, the class that they brought in for 2022 in such a short time, not just to hold that class together, but to, to really build around it and elevate it in the rankings. That, that was, that was an, an impressive recruiting job in just a few weeks' time compared to now they have 52 weeks, right? Now they really can go to their marker boards and they can be strategic on who they're going after uh, and so forth, and then they can get the full sales pitch. So they got junior junior day is, is done. Now you start lining people up throughout the spring. You start planning the official visits in the fall and start putting this class together. But you, no, no doubt about it, Richard Young is the guy that everybody wants, particularly Oklahoma, when it comes to that class. Now, also, the Sooners hosted four big-time offensive linemen, Joshua Bates, who's, who's currently committed uh, to the Sooners. Um, and I'm, I'm going to mess some of these names up, and it's just, it's just me. But uh, Musa Kane from, from New Jersey, Caden Green from Missouri, uh, and then uh, Wilkin Formby from Alabama, four offensive linemen. And it's good to have a guy like Joshua Bates in that group because Joshua Bates is already committed. So it's not just it's not just Bill Beatonbow meeting with those offensive linemen, recruiting them. You know Joshua Bates is sitting there going, "Well, this is the reason why I'm coming to Oklahoma." This is you know, and Joshua Bates is no. I mean, he, it's, it's not like he's the the runt of the litter here. This is a guy that, again, a lot of people are after. A lot of people offered him scholarships. A lot of people are still kind of turning the recruiting mill, so to speak, towards him, trying to get him to at least consider. Uh, listening to their pitches uh, before he commits in December to the University of Oklahoma. Also, wide receiver Ashton Kozart uh, was on campus. Uh, another commitment the Sooners already have locked up for 2023. Um, and a guy that probably was in Richard Young's ear just a little bit. When you look on the defensive side of the ball, some of the guys, uh, really one big guy out of, te- out of Florida, Landon Hale, safety, uh, is a guy that uh, that the Sooners would love to have in their secondary. A pair of linebackers from Texas, Samaje uh, Burrell and Darren uh, Gilliatt. That's the one I knew I was going to mess up. Um, and then you got a safety out of Texas and, and Michael Harrison Pilot. So it, a lot of a lot of a lot of pitches were made, right? And and it's really early in the process. We're only in March. You know, so we're a month away from closing out the 2022 class, which means we're a month into the 2023 class. So there's a lot of time left, a lot of time for these coaches to get in homes, a lot of time for these coaches to walk the halls of schools, a lot of time for things to happen. But to get this type of crowd and to be able to have them on your campus, to show them your facilities, to, to have that, that, that chalkboard time, um, it's, it's big. And after the weekend, uh, a couple of athletes, Jacoby Johnson from Mustang, Oklahoma, four-star athlete. Uh, And then, uh, guys, listen, I'm terrible with names, but uh, Samuel um, Omoshigo, (laughs) I have no idea, out of uh, Granville, Texas, a three-star athlete. Both of those guys get get crystal ball predictions to come to the University of Oklahoma. Both of them play – Played two-way in high school, receiver and defensive back. Um, both of them probably projected out to be a defensive back at the next level. Uh, 
So that's it for uh, for the recruiting update. It's it's really going to kind of turn into a hot stove type situation now with uh, the dead period ending and, and guys able to go and make visits and, and hear coaches and have that contact. And I would expect as a spring ball um, approaches, you're going to have a crud ton of recruits at the spring game on March 22nd. Uh, you'll start seeing some commitments and crystal ball predictions really flare up uh, a lot over the next month or so. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, here we go. Final segment in what will be a shortened edition of the Sooner Nation podcast. I apologize. I did not get time to do... um, True or false with you guys, and so I'll make that up to you later on in the week. We'll have a uh, – here's what we'll do. Um, we will do – in the near future, we'll do a, an episode that's all true or false. The entire episode will be your true or false questions. Um, now, how long that episode goes really, <laughs> I guess, depends on you as to how many questions you send us for that. And you can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland uh, and drop your true or false questions right there. Um, but um, – Let's jump in here. Spring practice, March 22nd. I got five storylines. Now, there's a ton of storylines, okay? I'm the first to admit there are a ton of storylines here. I mean, like Nick Evers, true freshman, the first uh, really out of high school quarterback commitment for Jeff Levy at the University of Oklahoma. What's he going to look like, right? Because people are going to go to the spring game on April 23rd, and they're going to want to see Nick Evers. That's one storyline. How do you fill in holes and gaps on the offensive line? That's another storyline. So there's, there's a ton of storylines out there. I just grabbed five. And I thought, me as a fan, and, and, and again, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know this whole thing was started because, above all else, I'm an Oklahoma fan. And uh, football is the one sport that I, I've never, ever applied for credentials for. Because I'm a fan, and I, I don't want to be in the press box. I want to be in my season seats uh, there in, in the south end zone. Um, and so th- there you have it. Um, but that said, the, me as a fan, sorry, I was thinking about my seats. Um, me as a fan, what are the five things I want to look forward to? What are the, on, on, when this thing comes to a conclusion a month from a month from the start date on the 23rd of April. What do I want to know? What do I want to see? What are the five storylines that really kind of jump out at me? And so here they are. I'll count them down from five to one and then give you the opportunity to hit us up on Twitter. You can go to heartland-sports.com and you can make a comment on the on the podcast page there. Um, also, just a free advertisement for me we're going to be breaking down positions going into the spring uh this coming week we're going to start on that and then we're going to back that up with um looking at the nfl draft and where we think guys might what their potential might be because that's been a hot topic that we've talked about multiple times on previous podcasts so that's just some stuff that's going to be coming to the website soon but here we go uh five four three two one my top five 
storylines as Oklahoma football gets ready for spring practice beginning on March 22nd. Number five is this. Uh, basically, it's new news that came out on Monday. Baker Mayfield will be honored with his Heisman statue, and I think it's fantastic. I love it. I mean, it's absolutely um, – it's overdue, and the reason why it's overdue is because of the COVID pandemic, but to have Baker here – to, to let the crowd, I mean, they were supposed to do this in 2020, uh, but it didn't happen. But to have the crowd on hand, to be able to honor Baker Mayfield, to see him in this stadium uh, one more time and have the crowd cheer him on one more time. This is a ticket seller just in itself uh, to have Baker here, but then to see that statue unveiled and, and put in, in Heisman Park, which means that puts Kyler Murray on deck, you know, using a baseball reference since he was a baseball star as well, but puts Kyler Murray on deck for his statue next. But uh, Baker Mayfield statue, definitely number five. The guy, regardless of, I mean, he's loved by, by I would say, 98.7% of Sooner Nation loves Baker Mayfield, right? Um, 100% of Sooner Nation appreciates Baker Mayfield, and I would say 100% of Sooner Nation just, just by virtue of him being a Heisman Trophy winner, he deserves this. This statue is deserved and in Norman, and it, it's going to be an amazing addition to Heisman Park. So there you go. There's number five. Uh, Baker Mayfield comes home to have the statue unveiled. Number four, we'll get into some schematic stuff here, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, because uh, Ted Roof, it's not yet known for sure what type of scheme he's going to run defensively. Now, there's been talks of a 4-3. There's been talks of a 3-4. I know uh, one of his better defenses he ever coached was at Appalachian State. And I think, well, I know when he, when he coached that defense, they led the nation in defensive scoring. That is touchdowns and safeties by the defense. And that was a 3-4 scheme, which you're going to transition out from Alex Grinch, who ran a 4-2-5 or a 3-3-5 uh, and and for, the, for the football novice, when you're talking about a 3-4 scheme, you're talking about your front seven. So three would be your down linemen, four would be your linebackers. So, for example, Alex Grinch liked a 3-3-5. That means he had three defensive linemen, three linebackers, and five defensive backs. So if you run a 3-4, that means you're going to do a traditional four defensive back set because you got 11 players on your defense, three down linemen uh, up front, four linebackers, and then you've got, you know, that's seven. So your four other guys are in the secondary, which may mean uh, you, you see less and less and less of the nickelback position because that comes that, that position comes with the 4-2-5 defense or a 3-3-5 defense where you've got that fifth, right? Follow me here, that fifth defensive back out there Five, the nickel, the nickelback. Okay, so there's some some free football uh, novice education right there. So what what is Ted Roof going to run schematically for this defense? But to take that a, a, another step further is how are these defensive linemen going to be used? Because you saw, and, and probably the most vocal guy about this uh, after his tenure ended at the University of Oklahoma was Perion Winfrey, who really felt like. He was underused. He was he was used more to occupy uh, offensive linemen than he was to really kind of go after and chase down uh, quarterbacks and running backs and so forth. So what are they going to do? If if you go to a three four scheme, that means you've got basically two defensive ends and a nose guard. Um, 
how are they going to use those guys? Are they going to fill gaps with linebackers, which would make sense? Uh, you, you have your linebackers play gap responsibility. I mean, it's just there's, there's so much here to unpack on this defense because we're going, we're going to a place that we really have never been before, right? Because when, when you look at the head coaches, Bob Stoops brought in Brent Venables, and Brent Venables was the defensive coordinator. And you know what Brent Venables did? And he did that in coordination with Bob Stoops. Is that what it's going to be like with Brent Venables and Ted Roof? Right? Because Lincoln Riley came in. He's the offensive mind. And he didn't have an offensive coordinator. He basically did what he wanted with the offense. And Brent Venables isn't that guy. Brent Venables has hired Ted Roof. And so is he going to be more hands-on or more hands-off with his defense when it comes to the schematics and how particular players are going to be used. Really, really curious about this. And now that I'm talking about it, it might need to be a little bit higher than the number four on my list, but there it is at, at number four. Um, and then I'm going to stick with this defensive side because I'm, I'm really curious how these defensive linemen are going to look and how they're going to shine. If, if Ted Roof goes with a, with a three, four scheme, I think guys like Coy Robertson, who's on campus, involved in this program, has been has been a player, has made some plays, and Isaiah Coe, who I believe is probably going to be the breakout star on the defensive uh, front next season. These guys are suited for that, and I, I do think as 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 amazing as Perrion Winfrey was, I think I don't think there's going to be much of a drop off, if any drop off at all, if you go to from that from Perrion being in the middle of the defensive line to Isaiah Coe being in the defensive line. Um, you got two defensive line transfers, Jeffrey Johnson, Jonah uh, Laulu, um, and I probably messed that name up as well. Uh, but uh, I mean, what's going to happen? How is this defensive front going to going to look, particularly on the inside of the defensive line? Um, because I really think you've got two stars in Coy Robertson and Isaiah Coe. And I, I, I don't know uh, how much we'll see. To, you know, typically, a spring game turns into a little bit of a, a glorified scrimmage. Uh, and, and, and rightfully so, you, you go to younger guys, right? Um, for example, you're, you're going to see uh, you know, more of, these, of the number three and number four on the depth chart than you are going to see number one and number two. Uh, just the way it is. I mean, your quarterbacks, you're going to have Dylan Gabriel come out against Nick Evers. They're going to swap sides for a little bit. And then, boom, uh, you tell me who's next, you know, um, as you go down down the list. And, and really, the, the a side note here, well, we'll get into that because number two has, my number two has to do with um, with quarterbacks. But back to number three, the defensive lineman in the rotation in Isaiah Coe, Corey Robinson. Uh, I, I think I, I really am curious about this, what Isaiah Coe would look like as the guy. You know, Perry and Winfrey was the guy. Isaiah Thomas was the guy. Now it's Isaiah Coe's turn. He, he's the next man up. Can he handle that load? Can he handle that responsibility? I don't know if spring ball will tell us that answer or not, but it might give us at least a little bit of a glimpse uh, of what the Sooners are looking at on that defensive front. Number two, uh, it's Dylan Gabriel's turn. I mean, this is it. it, it I, I've been vocal about this. You, you, this is no secret to you. Uh, from the moment he stepped on campus and Caleb Williams was in the transfer portal, this was Gillen, Dylan Gabriel's team. I mean, it's, it, it, it really became that much of a switch. I know 
and people close to me, uh, my son included, they all were like, no, 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 if Caleb Williams comes back, it's his team. I disagreed harshly with that, strongly with that. Because as, daily, as, as Caleb Williams was out marketing himself, trying to find the best NIL deal. By the way, um, he, he picked the school. Follow this logic. He picked the school that had the worst returning situation among offensive linemen. Follow me here. Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Georgia, all names that were connected to Caleb Williams. USC is by far the worst situated with offensive linemen than any of those other schools. But yet his family's going to tell you, oh, we wanted to go to the place that had the best opportunity to prepare him for the NFL. You know what? It's hard to play in the NFL if you can't walk. Just throwing that out there as an observation. It's hard to play in the NFL if you can't walk. Now, I mean, I'm not saying, I'm, and I'm definitely not wishing injury upon Caleb Williams. But we saw him struggle with pressure, with decision-making, but we also saw him do some electrifying things with his legs. But your legs aren't going to get you to the NFL. Your arm's going to get you to the NFL. And so I guess all I'm saying is, is that whole, man, I, I didn't mean to go off on this little rant, but that whole storyline that his family generated about this being about preparing Caleb for the NFL. No, that wasn't true at all. This was about dollars. This is about how much money can this kid capitalize on and NIL endorsements. How much money can he put in his pocket before he goes to the NFL? That's what this was about. And that's okay because that's the future of college football. I just wish people would be honest with this up front. I wish they would just say, no, look, we, we know that Wisconsin is a good program that could put Caleb in the NFL. We know Georgia, Oklahoma, they're all good programs that could put Caleb into the NFL. But USC is offering us the most money. And that's why we're going to USC. Why, what, what is wrong with that? Why can't you just say that? Because remember, it wasn't just the NFL. It wasn't just the NFL. They want to be the top overall pick. I don't think USC is going to get him there. That's just me. But I don't think it's going to happen. And I majorly digress there. I apologize. This is Dylan Gabriel's team. Uh, see, I, I mean, and that, the, the whole rant started from the idea that when Caleb Williams is out marketing and selling himself, Dylan Gabriel's on campus working out with his team. That transition from Caleb Williams to Dylan Gabriel, as far as who's the leader of the team, that happened before, before Caleb Williams exited the portal in Los Angeles. It happened the minute Dylan Gabriel stepped on this campus. When he left Westwood, California, about to go to class at UCLA, when he left Westwood, and landed in Norman, that's when this became his team. Because Dylan Gabriel was on campus, Caleb Williams was not. Dylan Gabriel was working out with his team, Caleb Williams was not. So if Caleb Williams wanted to come back, he would have a fight on, him, on his hands. And I think that was part of the problem. I think part of the problem was they wanted, the family wanted to go market themselves, but they also be like, oh, you know, we'll come back to Oklahoma. Just give us our job back. No, it doesn't work that way. This isn't Lincoln Riley. I mean, sorry, Jeff Levy didn't recruit you, Caleb Williams. He gave you a chance to play. Brent Venable said after the Alamo Bowl, this is your team. 
and you did not want that. Guess what? Now it's Dylan Gabriel's team, and Dylan Gabriel has to perform well in the spring. He has to. He absolutely has to because this is his team. And I know there's going to be, there's going to be some change in the verbiage and, and the, the alignments and the way you call things. And the offensive linemen, they may struggle to pick that up. Some of the running backs may struggle to pick that up. Some of the receivers may struggle to pick that up because everything's going to change from, from Lincoln Riley to, to Jeff Levy. Everything's going to change. But the one guy who should have a handle on that is Dylan Gabriel because he's played for Jeff Levy. So the one guy, I mean, the one guy who can't make mental mistakes on April 23rd, the guy who cannot make mental mistakes is Dylan Gabriel. The guy who cannot throw the ball away, turn it over is Dylan Gabriel. If there's a bad pass, it needs to be because the receiver ran the wrong route, not because Dylan Gabriel threw the wrong route. That's what I'm saying. It's 100% his team now. There is no backup that's, that's vying to push him out of the number one spot. The quarterback battle in this, in this campaign right now, spring into summer, the quarterback battle is going to be at number two. Who's going to be QB number two? That's where it all starts. And that's, that's I mean, if you're looking at quarterbacks at the spring game, look at QB number two. Look at QB number three. Look at QB number four. How close are those guys? Because we know who QB number one is. And that leads me to my last but not least uh, storyline. This is you know, Brent Venables, man. This is it. It's been all love, right? It's been all love. We're, uh, Sooner Nation is happy to have Brent Venables on board. And I don't think anything's going to happen through the spring that's going to kind of make the honeymoon come to an end. Typically, the honeymoon starts to come to an end the minute you take your first loss. You go down to the Cotton Bowl and you lose to Texas in October. Then the honeymoon starts to come to an end. But, but what we're looking at now is, I mean, and we've seen nothing but, I mean, even the media is, is um, praising how Brent Venables and his assistant coaches, how they respond to these press conferences, uh, how they treat the media and so forth. So they're doing everything right. In this moment, they're doing everything right. Now, how organized are they going to look on game day? Right? You know what I'm saying? You can, you can meet with the media and you can leave a great impression with the media. And you can put your guys in suits and make them look spectacular. And they do. They look spectacular. But if you come out and you're disorganized, you come out and, and it, no one looks like they know what's going on. You don't seem to have a, a, a grasp of game day situation. People are going to like scratch their heads and go, man, this is, this is April and we've got until the first weekend in September. We got four months to get this fixed. You don't want to leave with people having that type of uh, hesitation. And I don't think they will. I really don't think they will. But I am curious. I'm really curious to see how this all plays out being the first big thing that Brent Venables does as the head coach at the University of Oklahoma. So that's it for my top five storylines and a little bit of a Caleb Williams rant. I apologize for that, but hey, it just came out, right? Um, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's close it out and tell you that you can find us every day with something, Oklahoma City Thunder content, Oklahoma Sooner basketball, softball, football content, every day at heartland-sports.com. You can always find us on Twitter at Sports Heartland. Thanks so much for being a part of the Sooner Nation podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. Hit us up at any of those mediums. Have a fantastic week, weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Boomer Sooner.